1: We get opening round, North Dakota, Omaha, and it's not at the Ralph. Hello, it's at Baxter Arena. Should be a fantastic atmosphere tonight. Uh, One of the most respected voices in all of hockey and a uh, favorite of all of ours and one of the good guys in the sport. You hear him on CBS Sports Network, among other places. Dave Sarman joins us. Dave, thanks for your time. Great to have you on 1620 The Zone.
0: Oh, no, it's, it's awesome to be on. I appreciate you having me. I'm just getting a little concerned. I know I'm in my mid-50s, and I follow the Viagra commercial, so I'm a little <laughs> a little thrown off.
1: We'll take care of you. Right a, of you, gate. you know, for all guests that come on the show, we hook them up with Viagra. So, Dave, if you'll hold on the line when we're done, we'll... Uh, Jimmy will get your information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, um, this is... You, you, you know the NCHC very, very well. Does this seem like a... A, a different year because we're not talking about UND has home ice or Duluth is a wagon. I mean, it, Denver is really, really good and they've separated themselves, but how would you sum up this year in the NCHC?
0: That's a great question. And the NCHC this year, for a while, everybody said, well, the NCHC is down and the NCHC is not what the Big Ten is this year and it's, it's maybe it's losing its prominence. And I, I think that you know, when you talk to the coaches throughout the conference, and these are subjects that we bring up in just kind of a casual conversation, and it's funny because most of them have said that early on in the season, most of the teams in the NCHC were getting their goaltending situation straightened out. And if you played a lot of those non-conference games that you played in October, November, now, you'd probably get a lot more different results. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, when you take a look at the conference over the course of the year, I think that statement bears itself out because in the early part of the season – there was a lot of up and down regarding getting teams established with goaltending and, and and getting some new faces into some new places. But I think as the year went on, the quality of play really went up. The game started to get closer. You started to see the the trademark of teams that can defend, defend really well. You started to see Denver start to put it together in terms of their offense and their possession game. And then you started to see the emergence of some of the other programs as you just alluded to. I mean, I think Omaha had a great season. I I love the way they played and, yeah, that they hit some ups and downs. Certainly, they did. the 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 passing of Paul Gerard was was a tragedy, and and it was awful. And we all loved Paul, and and that hung over the team for a while during the season too. And and maybe this provides inspiration for him. And you know, then you look at Western Michigan, who has really come alive, and they're a team that can absolutely score at will when they want to. So I think, as Mark Twenty One said, you know, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> I I think the reports of the C of the NCHC being down or losing its jam, I think have been greatly exaggerated.
2: It's interesting, Dave, you bring up the goaltending because if you look at this series in Omaha, two teams that have maybe gone from one to the other and maybe feel like they've settled in, when you look at what DeRitter's done with North Dakota but also having Helston there a lot of last year and then a a part of this year, but also even with Omaha and Jake Harski who hasn't been all that bad, but Simon Lacozzi has really kind of come on lately. So, I mean, when you Talk about figuring out goaltending. Do you kind of look at these two programs in the NCHC as a good example?
0: I think it's a great example because DeRitter came in as a one-year guy. North Dakota might be the hardest place in the world to come into as a one-year guy. Mm -hmm. It's a a bit of a different animal. I've always said to people that playing goal for North Dakota is like playing goal for the Montreal Canadiens. You are Mm -hmm. in such a fishbowl. You're the biggest game in town, and you're in the most high-profile position among them. It's one thing when you come in as a freshman, you start to understand and learn not only the culture within, but the culture surrounding, which for North Dakota is a different animal. It's like Alabama football. So I, I think getting used to that takes some time. And I think the is the second half went on, found his traction. He's a great kid. And I think he figured it out. And and then when you look at Omaha, it, it, like, I think this, I've been watching this LaCuzzi kid for a long time, but it's the, no disrespect to his partner, but, you know, watching him back to the world juniors, it's there's a very funny story of how he wound up getting traded to the Chicago Steel, and I was minimally involved in it during a conversation I was having with their GM. So I'm a big fan of his kid mm-hmm. because of how far I go back watching him. But I, like, I really think that these are two programs who, once they got their footing and their traction down in net, really changed their fortunes as the year went on.
1: So sticking with the Chicago Steel, because I'm going to tie this into something you also mentioned that I hear a lot in college hockey as the portal has become part of the conversation. Jackson, Jackson Blake is he's, he's really, really good, and he's a leading scorer for UND. He came from the Chicago Steel. He's a, he's a freshman, so he's going to put the puck in the back of the net. So he comes to North Dakota like a lot of guys under, whether it be Geno or Blazer or, or uh, Bradbury now, they get them when they're freshmen, and they work them through the system. But we've seen at North Dakota and other storied programs how the portal has impacted. It's either giveth or taketh away. What's your thoughts on how the portal has affected college hockey, not only at the top, but throughout the entire sport? You
0: know what's really interesting is, it, it's had a, first of all, it's had a huge impact. And I think for the most part, it's had a pretty good impact where it needed to. But I think overall, it's, it's a disaster in terms of you've got to re-recruit your players all the time. I mean, the lack of commitment and the lack of loyalty by recruits to programs is a huge concern right now. Uh, and in coaches' conversations, and I, I think that's uh, that's not a great thing for for our game. But I do think that there are some situations where you know, especially with the Ivies, like the Ivies, you can't have that fifth-year transfer student come in. Like it's, it's they just don't do it. So all of a sudden, you know, you've got programs that are lining up to raid the Ivy seniors once they get ready to to graduate, because you know, unless they go back there as a fifth-year grad student type of thing, you can't have it. So. So that's part of the problem. I think that the, I think that the, the fact that you're starting to see players having played for three schools like that's not what college sports was meant to be. And I understand we all have to evolve, and I understand that nothing will ever stay the same, and the you know the good old days don't last very long, and we all have to change. But I do think that this has had a bit of an impact on college hockey to the point where it is it has probably helped the Habs. And it has probably hurt the have-nots a little bit because what fourth-year player looking to play one more year, who's played at a school that's maybe a smaller profile, gets a chance to play one year at North Dakota and doesn't take it, and that that can really change the balance of power throughout college hockey.
2: Yeah, and you know we've seen it in the NCHC too with you know. But- Colorado College uh, and Barraco is a great goaltender, but uh, a guy that had been a mainstay there is, you know, now is St. Cloud State. You know, you look at even within the conference that we've seen it, and it's interesting when we kind of look at the hierarchy of the 2023 season in the NCHC, where we've seen even teams like Denver and St. Cloud State, Western Michigan, that have had an addition or two that has really made sort of a difference. And so, you know, when you do kind of look at Maybe the the Miamis of the world, or the you know Colorado College I think had a better year, Dave, than they have in the past. Still, maybe find themselves a little bit vulnerable to losing some of those players. I mean, is is that kind of what you have seen a little bit here as of late in the NCHC with the, the, those programs in particular? I think
0: absolutely. It's it could work both ways. But I do think that you could be a really you can be a good program in a good conference and have some pretty good players that you spent time and money recruiting. And you run the risk of losing them if all of a sudden you're under five hundred and some advisor gets in your ear and says, Oh, wait, a minute, this program's not going anywhere, you've got to get out now. Yeah. And that to me is I think it's a concern. And I think it's a concern among the coaching staffs. I think it's a concern among people who are in and around the game. But, you know, unfortunately it's taken on the same dynamic as NHL free agency. You know, mm. a player can, can be homegrown in an organization and, and play their amount of years and then they hit unrestricted free agency and you know, off they go. And I'm not quite sure college sports is meant to be that way, but let's let's face it, you know, it is now. So the the biggest challenge I think right now for programs is to be able to unfortunately re recruit your best players. Yeah. And that puts a lot of pressure on the coaches. Yeah, because you have to keep winning. And and that that has changed the dynamic, I think, a little bit with some of the schools that are a little bit off the radar.
1: How does the dynamic change in the and when we have St. Cloud State and UMD are a rematch of last weekend? Up at the Ralph, uh, North Dakota wins 2-1, and then they win in overtime. Now they come to Omaha to play the following week. What's the dynamic of seeing a team now with the stakes are much higher, that that close, like back-to-back weekends? is Who's got an advantage? Is there a disadvantage as well?
0: I think it's a major advantage for both teams going into these types of series because of the fact that there's familiarity with your opponent so recently. And there are still some open wounds from the follow from the past weekend that you're dealing with. And when you go do video, it's not like you're watching a team that you haven't played in four weeks. And I mean now you're going back and watching video like it's just the next game of the season. <laughs> Obviously playoff games are, are of higher stakes and for some of these programs uh, they gotta keep winning or else they miss the NCAA tournament. But I do think like if if you're Mike Gabinett and you his staff, like you're going back and you're looking through the video like you're preparing for the following weekend from the previous weekend of the PewDiePie is the same opponent. I like the familiarity concept and having been part of that as a coach of the minor leagues. I mean, we used to play teams in our own division 16 to 18 times a year. Mm -hmm. So it's conceivable that we could have played our first-round playoff opponent four times in our last six games going into the playoffs. I kind of like that because the lack of mystery was a good thing in terms of helping the players prepare. And they go in very fresh off of what they just experienced.
2: You know, watching this series, both in Omaha back in November and then last and out in Grand Forks, it, it just seems like both teams, when they've had success, extremely opportunistic, whether we're talking about a man advantage, whether we're talking about maybe sloppy plays and turnovers in their zone, it, it just seemed like, and, and that's really kind of what fueled North Dakota on that Friday night win, too. It just seemed like every opportunity, every turnover, every mistake that Omaha made, they were jumping on that, and it's something we expect out of North Dakota but when you watch how these two teams are are matched up, just skill on skill, how would you kind of assess it?
0: I would say to you that a kid like Jackson Blake is a game breaker. A kid like Reese Gaber is a game breaker. The the one thing that I've always marveled about with Omaha and the success that they've had is they've been able to win games. And as I like to say, you know, they, they are built to play with the big boys, but without that superstar player like a Jackson Blake or a mm-hmm. Reese Gaber or a Tyler Clevin, so. I mean, And that's a credit to Omaha staff in terms of the way that they have generated this. So with North Dakota, they've probably got the ability to break open a game at any given moment because of some of the players that they have in their lineup. On the other hand, I think that Omaha is a really structured defensive team. And, or I should say they're structurally defensive mm-hmm. solid. And they can play offense. They can transition. They can get to the net. They can get to hard areas. They can manufacture goals. And I think a lot of it stems with the fact that they are really good at defending their blue line, and they are really good at breaking pucks out real quick. So, can they catch North Dakota flat-footed or over-committed offensively to the point where they generate those couple of odd-man rushes that can turn into goals? And and they do certainly have the scorers that can do it. So for North Dakota, they're probably a little bit more explosive. Yeah, I think for Omaha, they might be a little deeper, you know, front to back, but. These are two teams that I feel are really evenly matched, and not only that, these are two teams that so firmly believe in what they're doing that it makes this one of the most interesting series of anything being played in college hockey right now because both of these teams, I think, have caught fire at the right time and understand not only what they are, but what they need to do to be better than their opponent in the first round. It's a great matchup if you're going to watch a hockey series.
1: Hey, to win the national championship, I give you the combo of Denver-Minnesota or the field. What are you taking?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will tell you this. Uh, I I said this last year. I thought Michigan had the best players, and I thought Denver had the best team, and I started saying that right around late December, early January. This year, from around late November, I felt Denver had the best team, and Minnesota had the best players. So could we be <laughs> slanting in that direction? <laughs> I, I think so, too. I personally think there's only four teams in the country that I would put a dollar on to win the national title. Those would be two of them.
2: And real quickly too, because I don't—I know a lot of people don't know about, you know, Quinnipiac and and just what type of team they have. It's not a a well-known uh, name when it comes to collegiate sports, but especially in hockey, obviously Quinnipiac has had a hell of a season. Where where would you kind of put them into the pecking order of teams that have a legitimate shot?
0: They are the poor man's version of every good team in the country.
1: And, I, and that's no disrespect to this
0: right, And that's no disrespect to them. That's actually right. a compliment. Like, right. It's funny. They don't they don't have that breakout superstar that you're constantly talking about. They don't have this team that will blow you away when you watch them. But that team and that program, I mean, that program should get so much more credit and so much more attention than they do nationally because of what they've done over the last 15, 20 years. But just going to this season specifically, they are a really, really good goal. The Peretz kid is dynamite. They can defend They play hard. They don't take shortcuts. They fight you for every puck. They are defensively responsible. They, they've they got methodology in all three zones. They connect all three zones really well. And their head coach is as intense as anybody that I've ever met and had the pleasure of working with. Like mm. My thing is this. You, you don't hear a lot about Quinnipiac, but you just might in April. Yep.
1: Hey, one final thing, because I, I want to, with your expertise and your background and just your love of the sport. So last night, you know, I, Around here, Dave, you know, there's a lot of college basketball going on. But there was one of the more intriguing regular season matchups between Boston and Edmonton. And Edmonton's making their East Coast swing, so they go into Buffalo and the place is packed because they want to see 97 and, of course, the way Boston is playing. And you got Pasternak scores his 45th last night, and the Bruins coughed up a late lead, and Edmonton won 3-2. And and McDavid really didn't do anything, which was kind of a letdown. Every time you watch Edmonton, you expect uh, Connor (laughs) McJesus to do something. Mm -hmm. But can you put in perspective... What Connor McDavid is doing this year in the NHL, which is the salary cap era and when guys weren't you know being Gretzky and scoring 200 points, he's got 124. Can you put that in perspective on the kind of season that he's having?
0: It's, I mean, it's it's historic in in a in a small way, and, and you're absolutely right with with numbers down as opposed to what they were in recent years. Just what he's been able to do. It's uh, Pat Fitzgerald had a great line. The coach of Western Michigan, he said. If if you're a first line and you've got to get moved away from a tough matchup, like how good are you really? Mm-hmm. Because teams like to try to line up against McDavid. How's that going? And he's right. I mean, because it doesn't make a difference what team they're playing. That McDavid is always going to get the toughest matchup, and yet he's still dominating it. I mean, to me, first of all, it's a credit to his line mates, and it's a credit to the players on the ice, because nobody can do it by themselves, but he's pretty damn close. And some of the individual plays that he makes – are just outrageous. And it's powered by his feet. It's powered by his vision. It's powered by his hands. It's very rare in any sport, whether it be tennis, football, basketball, hockey, soccer. It's very rare you get a guy like a Messi who, mm-hmm. whose hands, whose brain, and whose body can all work in fifth gear and be incredibly efficient. That, to me, is what McDavid is. He's a master of his craft because every component of his game can work at speed but when he slows it down, it could also work in time and space. And that's what makes him just beautiful to watch.
1: Uh, one more thing, because you spend a lot of time around the world juniors. Is Connor Bedard that next guy?
0: Oh, goodness. It, <laughs> he He's something else. And when we talk about McDavid and some of the things that he does at the junior level, that's exactly what Bedard's doing. And that should translate. Again, you're talking about a guy who's got elite-level speed, he's got elite-level hands, he's got tremendous vision, and... You know, the one thing that all of these great players have, and that Dart has it, we, you know, you like to call it the it factor, but it's something more. I mean, he's just got big onions. And when, when he decides that he wants to do something special, he can because he so trusts his ability to do it, but he's got so much swagger in his game that he doesn't even have to think about trying to do it. He just does it because he knows he can. And to me, as an athlete, what a gift.
1: Wow. Hey, I appreciate this conversation. This is a lot of fun. I, I enjoy your work and uh... – uh, we need to do this more often.
0: Absolutely, anytime. I love it. And hey, listen, Omaha has been a fun place to be. Starting with the pod, it's kind of been like a second
1: home. <laughs> yeah. Old. Hey, we appreciate it, Dave. Thank you.
0: You got it. Take care, guys.
1: Thanks, guys. Dave Starman, who uh, CBS Sports Network, among other places. Uh, he does love him some Omaha. I think the 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 life in the pod. Has aged well. It has. Because when it was going on, people were like, I am the most miserable. I'm spending the whole time at Baxter Arena. I got to go through all these tests in this hotel by myself. And now, like a couple years later, people are like, man, that was a great experience.
2: I was watching the North Dakota broadcast last week during the hockey series, and they had their senior recognition They there doing senior videos. So during intermission, they were talking about it. Every one of them brought up the pod, how much fun they had in the pod in Omaha and how that was a, a huge experience, uh, you know, a bonding experience, but also just their enjoyment for Omaha and the pod. Like, it's it, I mean, it's not just here, too. I mean, it, not just the TV coverage and whether it was Midco or the NCHC TV and all the reps that came in from the NCHC, but, I mean, other teams, they, they legitimately enjoyed that pod, which I'm with you. We were just a month after having our son, and my poor wife's at home, and I'm spending nights at the arena and thinking, oh, gosh, I got another game, too, but... Well, they really liked it. I mean, they, they they loved it. And it. That was cool. And it was, you know, Mike Kemp
1: and, and the entire staff yep. did a great job with that. Um, uh, tonight, Omaha, North Dakota, yeah. 7 o'clock uh, tonight, tomorrow. If necessary, they'll be on uh, Sunday. Mike Gavin, by the way, should be the runaway coach of the year in the NCHC, which he is up for that award. They'll mm-hmm. announce that uh, next week. All right, Matt Verzal from the 308s coming up next.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.